This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves. You need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 565 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me on this episode today is Norman Behar. Norm previously was the guest on Accelerate on episode 318. Go back and check that out. And in that episode, we discussed, it was a great episode, we discussed how to get the biggest ROI out of your corporate sales training. Now, today we're going to talk about the five hallmarks of high-impact, high-performing sales organizations. And this is based on research that Norm and his team at Sales Readiness Group performed. And we're going to get into the steps that the top sales organizations use to coach and recruit and manage their teams much more effectively than the rest. If you'd like to see summary notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 565. In case you missed it at the beginning of the show, this episode is brought to you by our great partner, Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales, marketing, and staffing professionals. And this feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by a team of more than 250-plus researchers who are continually updating the contact data and providing account-specific insights to help salespeople, marketing teams, break out of the pack. So see the product. You can do that live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. Have you downloaded my new report on how to amp up and accelerate your sales? Every sales team hits a slow patch from time to time, and it's how quickly you rebound, how quickly you bounce back, that can mean the difference between a great year and a so-so year. So this report is based on the input of over 300 of the world's leading sales experts, people I've interviewed right here on this show on Accelerate. And this report contains a prioritized step-by-step guide to the recommendations of these experts. So you want to get yours right now. A lot of great content here. The report is free. Go to accelerate.fm forward slash accelerate. That's accelerate.fm forward slash accelerate to get your free copy right now. Finally, before we get to the interview, I do want to remind you that I want to hear your questions about sales and sales management, the challenges you're facing, and how we can possibly help you. So send your question that you want answered. You can send that to me at andy at andypaul.com. And each week, I'll choose one question from those submitted the previous week to answer on my Friday show with my friend Bridget Gleason. And the winner, the person who submitted the question that we choose for the show, will win a free half-hour coaching call with me. That's a $250 value. So don't delay. Submit your question today. That's at andy at andypaul.com. All right, let's jump into it. Norm Behar, welcome back to Accelerate. Andy, great to be back. Thank you. Yeah, our pleasure to have you back. So I have a new standard question I ask all my guests when they come on the show. And this question is, in your opinion, what, what is the single biggest challenge facing sales teams today? I think the biggest challenge facing sales teams today is probably a qualification. I think that companies, uh, particularly companies that are pretty progressive with social media and online advertising are generating a lot of leads. 
And the problem is that uh, there's a disconnect between the leads and the actual number of opportunities that make it into the sales funnel. And I think lead qualification has changed dramatically based on the aggregate number of leads. So when a salesperson used to do all their own prospecting, uh, a lot of cold calling, you know, you think back a number of years, they basically, you know, had a lot more uh, input as to which leads they would follow up on. When that lead generation is being done either through a dedicated team or coming over from marketing, there's quite a bit of noise in the leads and being able to really figure out through, um, you know, questioning skills, which leads are really qualified and which leads need nurturing uh, is probably the biggest challenge we see in terms of working with our clients. Okay. I mean, I was just talking to somebody earlier today that uh, based on a study, I forget who had done the study, but that it's pretty recent within the last year is that still just a tremendous number of um, high percentage of, of leads not being followed up. And and that, really this this conversation I was having was in the context of sort of the future of selling with AI and bots and so on. And mm-hmm. and this person is sort of making the, the point as well. Yeah, you know, bots would be perfect at doing all this follow-up because, you know, they have no 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 conflicts <laughs> on their time. They just can follow up as much as they want. Um, but why why does it still seem to be such a struggle for us to follow up with leads? Because I think that the salespeople are smart, and they're going to follow the path of least resistance to the most dollars. And when they see leads that someone uh, downloaded a white paper, and if they don't necessarily have the exact title that they're looking for, or the white paper doesn't necessarily cor- um, correspond to a business need, they're already thinking this has low probability. So, so many of the leads today are, you know, what I would call even way above the top of the of the sales funnel. And they're based in a lot of cases on content marketing. We do a lot of content marketing ourselves. We think it's great. But just because someone shows interest in content doesn't mean they're a sales qualified lead. And I think that's why uh, salespeople are starting to self-select what leads to follow up on. And I think a lot of organizations for that reason are basically breaking their sales organization into two components. One that really follows up on the leads and that's kind of their total responsibility is follow up and qualification and another that takes over once the leads are qualified. I'm not giving an opinion as to whether that's better or not better. I'm just saying the reality is that there's a lot of leads that are coming in that are based on content marketing that may not in any way be sales ready. Well, I think that's one of the <laughs> one of the problems we have in sales these days is really trying to understand what is what is better and and uh, what isn't. Right. And I think that, you know, this kind of gets a little bit as much in the realm of marketing as it does in sales and that marketing really needs to work on, uh, you know, who is the target market? They can probably get a lot of input from, from sales and also looking historically at who the company has been successful, where, you know, what the win rates have been. But you also start to create personas and you can start doing some lead scoring. And I think that the systems today are pretty sophisticated, the marketing systems, where you can actually kind of create personas in terms of the profile of the person and the level of interest. And then with that lead score, you can start to categorize your leads as to which ones are closest to sales ready, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit more distant. Again, that kind of gets, you know, a little bit away from manual intervention, but at least uses some business rules, could be on industry, company size, title, uh, and what piece of content they downloaded that would generate the lead score. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. All right, so I want to talk today about a report that your organization has has put out. Um, a research report 
And so why don't you tell us what the, the title of that was, and let's dive into some of the findings that you guys have. So, so the full title is the 2017 Sales Management Research Report, uh, The Five Hallmarks of High-Impact Sales Organizations. And it's a report that we produced in conjunction with Selling Power Magazine. It was really based on a, a book that we released a year ago, uh, The High-Impact Sales Manager. Mm-hmm. And The High-Impact Sales Manager in book form is a synopsis of our, of our sales training program. It covers the key responsibilities that, that frontline managers have. And we, we, we strongly believe that sales success is highly correlated to the effectiveness of the frontline manager. And so if you have better management, you get better results. And things that they, you know, that managers are responsible for day to day can include, you know, interviewing and, and hiring decisions, managing sales performance, managing the pipeline, providing individual coaching, and leading and motivating their teams. So we anecdotally, um, you know, felt that these are the key skills that make for more effective managers, particularly when managers are promoted from the sales ranks, those skills that they need to learn as managers are pretty different from what they did selling. Selling, you know, gets into, you know, my prospecting skills, my call planning skills, my ability to, you know, identify needs. And you think about those versus performance management, coaching and leading, pretty different skill set. So we're huge believers in the training and development of more effective sales managers. They're with their teams every single day. And you know, if you, I have seven to 10 direct reports, that's a lot of leverage we can get through a more effective sales manager. But we wanted to back it up with a little bit of data. So we reached out to Selling Power. They've done a tremendous amount of work uh, over the years on sales management. We said, let's, let's create a survey. And we sent a survey out. We had uh, 400 responses from... Uh, uh, the respondents came from over 20 different industries. And what we did is we segmented them into three groups based on their, um, you know, how they self-select in terms of percent of reps that achieved quota. And we had what we call the high impact or high performing group where over 75% of the uh, team achieved quota. An average group where 25 to 75% achieved quota and a lower performing group where less than 25% of reps achieved quota. And we found five um, things that were really interesting based on uh, the respondents. One is that well, sales managers. Before, before we jump into that, though, because yeah. we'll go yeah. through we'll go through the five the five hallmarks individually. Yeah, sure. So, so let's let's talk about the the stats you just gave. So, um, three groups, three buckets. So, roughly twenty. 20% of the organizations had fewer than 25% of their sales reps achieve quota. So what's wrong with that? Well, I think, you know, generally I didn't, I don't know if I actually gave you the exact data, how, how many fell in each group and I don't have the, well, no, the I, I, I have it. So 17% fell into the, the low performing organization. So with that fewer than 25% well, of, so there could be a number of different things going on. There are some organizations that over time, uh, you know, just set the quotas too high. They're not really attainable. And maybe the salespeople know that, but let's just assume that we get as many respondents as we did. The, the, the quotas were set accurately. And so you've got, you know, this group where you have a low performing group. What we found there is that the managers there were the least effective in, in every one of the categories that we mentioned. So there was a Really strong, whether it was you know how they coach their team, how they manage performance, their proficiency in recruiting and hiring, their managers were not as well skilled, and there was actually much lower investment in the training and development of those managers than there were in the middle or high impact. So there probably are a number of factors going on. It could be the industries that these companies were in. It could be the way they set quotas. 
But what we found in our takeaway is that we felt that they had the least effective frontline sales managers. Okay. All right. So let's jump then into some of the the hallmarks that you talked about. So the first one, as you said, is that sales managers at high-impact sales organizations spend more time coaching. So, you know, this is sort of wide variety of, of or broad range, I'll say, of definitions of coaching. So did, did you have a definition of coaching that, that you're sort of working around? Yeah, for us, coaching is really about skills coaching. So when we think about, you know, coaching, we're talking about the coaching that can impact how um, the skills of the individual reps. And, you know, you're right. Coaching is is a broad term. Some people use the term coaching broadly to define sales management. They, you know, we often have that with prospective clients that have responded to one of our content pieces. And they'll say sales coaching. And we'll say, well, does that really mean like leading and motivating your team? Does it really mean managing uh, performance and managing the pipeline? And they'll say yes. And then we'll explain <laughs> that based on our definition, that's a lot more than sales coaching. But typically there are two aspects to sales coaching. There's opportunity coaching, which is really closely related to managing pipe, the pipeline. Right. It's providing strategic advice as to how you work with specific opportunities to advance those sales opportunities. And most sales managers in particular, those that actually came through the sales ranks are pretty good at that because they, they have a background in sales. They may have been, I think, in well over half of um, the um, companies that we work with, the managers, over half of the managers are promoted from, from within. So these sales managers are pretty good at providing strategic advice as to how to move opportunities forward. And obviously, there's some training that we offer and others offer as to how they can do a better job of, of opportunity coaching. The area that they, they struggle with is just because I was a star salesperson uh, doesn't mean I can help some, another person improve their selling skills. In fact, if we think, you know, take analogies from the sports world, we often find that the best players do not always make the best coaches. And that could be for a number of reasons, maybe because things came really easy to them. Um, and maybe they also don't really have the temperament to, um, to, to work with others. But ultimately, you know, coaching is very different than managing. Coaching is done from the side and very collaborative, and management is a little bit more top-down as yeah. is leadership. So, yeah, more, more directive, for sure. Yeah, so we want, you know, what we're really focusing on is helping those salespeople become better at their core job, which is selling. And typically, that's a little bit more longer-term oriented than, than just what I would call opportunity or deal coaching, which is much more near-term focused. And so how did you measure, you said that they're far more proficient at sales coaching in the high-impact sales organizations. How do you measure proficiency at coaching? Well, again, this was based on, you know, their own rating of their proficiency. But, we, we know, if we look at, you know, some of the, the, the type of questions that, that we would ask in there, you know, do they make coaching a collaborative process? Do they assess the salesperson's knowledge and skill levels? Are they developing personalized coaching plans for each one of their salespeople? Mm-hmm. Do they plan and maintain an organized uh, coaching schedule? And do they follow a defined coaching process? So they self-selected as to how important they felt each of these skills were, as well as how proficient they were. And we found a pretty wide disparity between each of the groups in terms of, you know, if I aggregated those, you know, what the proficiency looked like at the high-impact group versus the average versus a low-performing group. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that stood out is – that in the high impact organizations, you said that the managers spent a greater percentage of their time coaching, more than twenty percent of their time, 
uh, coaching. And, and, you know, I was sitting there thinking, I said, okay, well, really, and maybe you know this through your, through your work, is so what is, what is an ideal percentage of time, if there is such a thing, that sales managers should be spending coaching versus, you know, admin work, sales management, you know, deal reviews, and so on? So it's, it's, it's a great question, and I think the number varies depending on the, uh, the size of the sales team and also the nature of the sales team, and I'll, and I'll explain. So just to – what we did find is that like something like 65% of you know, the managers in the high-performing group spent more than 20% of their time coaching, whereas you know, in sharp contrast, only 40% of the managers in a low-performing group spent 20% of their time coaching – the ideal that you know that we recommend for our clients is somewhere between 20 and 40% of their time. We recognize that managers need to attend meetings, managers have forecasts to prepare, managers have a lot of other responsibilities, but the one that we think can have the biggest impact and I think and I think the survey bears out in terms of importance is sales coaching. So 20 to 40% of their time should be spent coaching. What are some of the dependencies is if they have an inside sales team where they can uh, you know, actively listen in on calls, they could be very, very efficient with their time. And that allows for probably a greater um, amount of time. If they have a widely distributed team, you know, let's say I'm a national sales manager and I've got a team of 10 and, you know, distributed in 10 cities across the United States, uh, the amount of formal sales coaching I, I, I can do where I actually go along and actually go out and observe sales calls might be a lot more limited so I think depending on the number of people they manage and the nature of the people they manage, uh, the actual times could vary. But I think if a manager is in that 20 to 40% range, they're, they're, they're probably in that what I would call optimal range, Andy. Yeah, well, I think one of the, the key factors or stats, data points that I, I saw in there, that, that was certainly consistent with other things I've seen and with other guests I've talked to about this, but is, is still quite disturbing, is <clears throat> that... Let's see. You said that you know twenty nine percent of of managers in high impact organizations are far more likely to participate in sales coaching training. But the problem, <laughs> you sort of caveat that whole thing with, is that seventy three percent of all managers receive no coaching training. So you know it's, it seems like we should have learned the lesson right that that one of the highest ROIs you get in your investment and in training is in your managers. And you're certainly this report I think bears that out. It seems stunning still that virtually three quarters of of sales managers yeah, receive no, co- no training on coaching, which is, like I said, one of the highest ROI activities. They right, and we weren't even being specific there to sales coaching. I think we were aggregating both sales coaching and also just what I would call general management coaching. But you know what we found is 73% did not uh, participate in a formal coaching program. So they may be doing some of this through mentoring. They may be figuring this uh, out on their own, uh, but they're really not going to a coaching program. And we said, you know, later on, we kind of asked some questions about investment and also uh, prioritization and kind of related to that the biggest impediment to implementing sales management training programs, we found were competing priorities. I think 65% of the respondents said, well, the reason we don't uh, do this is because we have competing priorities. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what could be more important? Exactly. You know, I understand exactly. you know, whether right. you're implementing a CRM system, or we've got these other priorities, but, but what could be more important? And again, that question was around sales management broadly, but in particular, if someone, you know, we have a lot of clients who say, hey, we're really interested in a sales management training program. You know, you guys offer a number of different workshops in the area. Which one's going to have the highest impact? We'll, we'll almost always start with sales coaching. We just think that fundamentally, if you've got, you know, 
I think I mentioned the number seven to 10 reports and you could just incrementally improve their selling skills even a little bit, you're going to see a pretty interesting and, and powerful impact on, on overall sales results. Yeah. And I, I was, yeah, just amusing during your, your answer. It's like, okay, competing priorities, right? I mean, it's like, come on. <laughs> it's, it's sort of, of a, of a piece with other things we've read about in the last couple of years with sales managers, you know, increasing demands on their time to be sort of the, the metrics jockeys, you know, that for their sales organizations and spending all the time on, on, you know, the detailed and data analysis as opposed to, oh yeah, there's something that would really make somebody better, which is coaching. And yeah, let's invest in them to make them better at it. Absolutely. And I think that the, you know, the data, not only our data, but the research data generally in the industry is that sales coaching can have a huge impact in, on performance. And the other thing it does is a lot of managers are kind of stuck in what I call a daily grind. They become, instead of managers, they become chief problem solvers. So think about someone who came up from the sales ranks, Andy, and now you know, they're managing a team. And this issue comes up, and then they're solving this, you know, this issue and other salesperson has another customer issue and they really feel like they're helping their salespeople and the customers because they're moving from issue to issue. By the end of the day, they're exhausted. They've had a really busy day and they've, they've helped in a number of areas, but that, that, that type of help is really, um, not very scalable. Uh, it may feel good, but it doesn't move the organization forward. The type of assistance that really, um, helps is when they're no longer the chief problem solver, unless it's a really big problem but they've worked with their team to learn how to solve their own problems. So they've improved how they manage opportunities, how they sell and their selling skills to the point where they're, they're now getting leverage through their team. Their team is empowered as opposed to the team just looking for their managers to, to solve issues for them. Yeah. Well, another one of the points of the five points you brought out is that the high impact sales organizations are more proficient at recruiting and hiring salespeople. And Boy, it seems to me like this is <laughs> this should be is like the highest impact thing that they could get better at, uh, even better than coaching, right? Because you got to get <laughs> you got to get coachable talent in the door before you can coach them. Um, it seems like we don't spend enough time. This goes back to the training thing. We don't spend near enough time training people how to hire. Right, and I think that there, you know, different organizations handle that a little bit differently. With many of our larger clients, it's kind of a shared function between human resources and sales. A lot of times, a human resources or recruiting group will do a lot of the initial, um, you know, working with recruiters and screening resumes, and then working with the manager to bring them candidates that they'll interview. Uh, whereas in a small organization, a lot more of that responsibility may fall on on the sales organization. But I think the the one critical point you're hitting on is 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 interviewing and hiring skills. And really, maybe I would even narrow that down to say interview and selection. So how do you interview to select the best candidates? And what we found here is that most sales managers, uh, and this is not a criticism per se, it's really just an area for improvement interview based on job descriptions. And so they're they're working off a job description and they're interviewing someone and they're asking questions that relate to that job description, but they're they're really not going deep enough. And what we suggest is taking a little bit of extra time to create a job profile. And the job profile would get into what's kind of the educational background, what kind of work experience you're looking for, what kind of skills. And maybe the area that we think is most missing is what are the key competencies you're looking for? So in, in an organization, if you looked at your top in sales organization, you looked at your top 20% of your performers, 
they may have certain characteristics that stand out. It could be uh, integrity, it could be work ethic, it could be motivation. Those are the kind of things that really don't show up on a resume per se, but uh, but really allow for very strong behavior-based um, interviewing. So let's assume you know you were interviewing or I'm interviewing with you and you ask me, you know, Norman, are you motivated? I might say, oh yeah, Andy, I'm very motivated. Does that really tell you that I'm motivated? And and I and I don't think it does. It tells you that I'm just good at you know answering your question. But if you start to ask me, well, Norman, you know, why do you describe for me a situation that required extra motivation in the past? And then you start to ask me some drill down questions that really get to the source of whether I have the attribute you're looking for. So, you know, kind of um, getting back to your 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 assumption, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement in training managers how to interview. And then based on that interview, uh, how to select the right candidates based on your profile. I think that, that one thing that I'm not sure I've ever seen in an organization is that other than sort of general you know, performance review type things. But, but it seems to me like this is sort of a, a skill, a muscle that, you know, A, we need to provide more formal feedback to managers as they hire and some sort of you know, assessment for them so that – they really view it as a not just something I do occasionally, but it's a you know muscle they need to develop, a skill they need to develop. I mean, because yeah. otherwise, what's going to happen is is you know there's been research done recently <clears throat> that's been written about that. Yeah, you know, one I think it was a professor from Yale that that said article in the New York Times saying, you know, what their studies show is that actually <laughs> better correlation to success with people they hire just by hiring people off their resumes without interviewing them. In studies they had done, and it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, <laughs> that's a problem, right? I mean, if if we can, if you can actually have a higher degree of predictability of success, as I mean, on the job, just by hiring off the resume and not interviewing them, it means we're just screwing up on the interviews altogether. Absolutely, and I think that interviewing is a is a is a skill, and I think that you know, in many ways, it resembles um, selling. In that, you know, one of the questions you asked before is, you know, what is one of the areas where I think you know. Salespeople have the greatest room for improvement, and the answer I gave you was asking great questions. And I think mm-hmm. that most managers they prepare for their interview maybe five minutes before the candidate walks in. Maybe they take a quick look at the resume, the work experience, and the um, and the and the educational background, maybe a few other accomplishments. So they're just glimming a few items, and they're kind of winging the resume. I mean, winging the interview. And what we right. want them to do is to really prepare for the resume and really. Think about, okay, here's my job profile. So, you know, here's the work experience I'm looking for. Here's the prior performance. Here are the skills. Here are the qualities. Here's the educational background. And then develop a question set that really gets to the discovery of whether this person is the right candidate. And it ties closely to sales also in that when, you know, someone says there's a great sales call, I'll often ask, well, how much of the conversation was led by you? And how much of it was really customer-driven? And we're looking for at least two-thirds of the conversation to be customer-driven. I'd ask that exact same question about an interview. So many managers are focused on selling the position in the company that they do all of the, you know, or, right. or substantially right. all of the talking as opposed to being in listening mode. So if they can prepare great open-ended questions that really get to the skills and attributes they're looking for, they're going to have a much better basis for criteria if 75% of what of that time is spent listening to the candidate. 
Well, one of the things that research pointed out was that interviews are effective when you set up your process such that, you know, assuming the person comes in and they interview multiple people, is that they all ask the exact same questions. Right, and I think that gives you, you know, we have a tool in our workshop, but whether someone has a formal tool or not, by asking kind of the same question set, you can then do a great job, you know, of, of us, you know, taking your top three candidates and looking at how well they stacked up uh, relative to each other. You know, and it's not going to be a perfect science, but I think it gives you a, a much fairer uh, basis for comparison. Yeah, well, I think also if you, their point was, if you have five people in the company interviewing each candidate, then it gives you you know, a common set of data points you can use as opposed to, hey, I asked a different set of questions, I asked a different set of questions, and then you can't really compare notes because you, know, you all asked different questions and got different answers. Absolutely. Yeah. No, very cool. The other, we don't have a whole, I wish we had more time, but uh, the last part I wanted to get into is, which again, is just sort of mind-boggling to me, is that that uh, your last point, which is that high-impact organizations invest more to develop their sales managers, is... Even that more is still so small, right? So you yeah, 32% of high-performing organizations spend more than $2,000 annually per manager. And I'm thinking, whoa, that seems, seems like it could easily be three times that amount. Sure. I think that in, you know, the investment in sales management training, so again, this is a, you know, a, a little bit higher bar. We're asking more than you know, $2,000 you know, $2, per year. And you know, if we expanded that to be you know over you know a thousand dollars, the number would go would would go up some. But what's striking to me is in the high impact group, thir- as you said, thirty two percent you know are spending more than two thousand dollars a year. That means that sixty eight percent are um, not investing less than that, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it gets much worse when you look at the average group. Only twelve percent is spending over two thousand dollars a year. Yeah. And, you know, the lowest performing, 7%. So, I mean, another way of looking is that the high impact group is spending almost three times as much on their managers. But if you kind of flip it on its head based, you know, the way you asked your question, what we found is across all organizations, uh, 45% reported that they didn't have the resources or the budget to invest in the training of their managers. And so think about that. That's That's really close to zero investment in almost half of the managers. And then you know, a lot of the data, if we got a little more granular at our very marginal rates, the reason we focused on 2000 is we started thinking about, you know, what's a reasonable amount to invest in a management development program. Your, 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 your good programs typically run anywhere between 1500 to to maybe $3,000 per employee if you're going to have a well, you know, thought out program that's tailored for the individuals uh, and includes reinforcement. So, Again, I think that, you know, kudos to those organizations that are making the investment. And I also think it shows that there's there's a lot of room for improvement, which is why we were excited to, you know, do this report and, uh, you know, work with Selling Power because we thought there were some really interesting insights to share. And, of course, anyone who wants to get a copy of the report can certainly visit us on our website and and download a copy. Well, I thought, to me, the most distressing part of that, that number about how much is not invested in in sales manager training is that it's the ripple effect. So, I mean, one of the things that's you know widely decried about you know sales reps in general is you know they're not investing enough. Either companies aren't investing enough in their professional development, or they themselves are not. I mean, oftentimes you 
you know, hear expectations, you know, why aren't you investing your own time and money to improve your skills and your craft and so on, which, mm-hmm. you know, fine, we can have a whole separate discussion about how much pressure we need to put on people to do that. But but if if the managers aren't getting trained, then you have a pretty high degree of certainty that they themselves then are not encouraging their sales teams to go out and invest in their own development. So I don't have any any data to support that, but you know, our advice to a company is if they have a limited budget, I would train the managers first as opposed to the frontline sellers. Because ultimately the training is only a small portion of the total amount of time that a that a salesperson is working during the course of the year. And the managers are with those salespeople every single day. So coaching in many ways can be as effective as training. In fact, it's a lot more personalized. So, mm-hmm. so one person needs help on managing objections. Another person needs help on closing. Another person needs help on qualifying. That, that gets to a level of granularity you wouldn't have in training. So obviously we're in the sales training business. We believe firmly in, in, in training sales organizations. But again, with limited resources, if I had to kind of say where do companies tend to underinvest, I would say it's it's in the frontline sales managers. And given that they're with the sales teams every single day, they can have a huge impact on on sales success. Yeah, well I, I think the conclusion from the report is absolutely clear and and sobering that that for you know people listening to this, so the CEOs or your VP, you know, C level VPs of sales or something is is yeah, not nearly enough is being done to invest in your frontline sales managers that to your point, that has the highest ROI that you're going to get of probably any sales training you can do. I totally agree. And I think, you know, we we captured that about a year ago in our book, The High Impact Sales Manager. It's been something we've had in our training programs for years. And then, you know, this year we just went a little bit further uh, in deciding to go out and survey and get a lot of respondents from different industries and just take a look at those correlations. And the correlations are, um, you know, we think create a very compelling case for the investment in in the development of the sales manager. And to your point, not all of that needs to be formal training. There, there are a number of things managers can do on their own uh, to improve. But I think the macro level is, you know, there's there's strong basis for developing more effective managers and the impact they can have on sales performance. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, good job. That was that was a, an interesting report. So, uh, Norm, did, we're unfortunately out of time. Tell people how they can find out more about the report and connect with you. So, easiest way, go to our website, salesreadinessgroup.com. Uh, you can go into our, um, uh, the report may even be actually on the homepage, but you can go into our industry research. We have a, also a lot of blog posts and white papers. You can also just email us at info at report. Excuse me, info at salesreadinessgroup.com and ask for a copy of the uh, sales management research report. Excellent. Good. Well, Norm, again, thanks for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and subscribe and leave us a review. We want to know what we can do to help make this a more valuable investment of your time. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 